Hello, and welcome to For Your Listening Pleasure, a podcast focused on talking with interesting and diverse individuals and discussing how their backgrounds shape them into the people they are today. I am your host, Mallory Waxman. Today on the podcast, I'm excited to be welcoming Aaron Gallagher. Aaron is the CEO and founder of Ella, an inclusive network appreciating women and their wealth through connection, consulting, and coaching. Aaron has worked with some of the world's biggest brands and best companies, and with almost 20 years of experience leading global marketing, business development, and branding, Aaron is recognized as a change maker who believes in the power of diversity, equity, inclusion, and access. Aaron, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. For those listeners who maybe don't know who you are, would you mind just giving a quick introduction? Of course. Well, thank you so much, Mallory, for having me. I'm really excited for the conversation that we're going to have today. Uh, And I think if I were to sum myself up in a 30-second spiel, it would be that I am a mother of two boys, ages six and four. I'm a CEO and founder of a company called Ella, and we are an inclusive network appreciating women and their wealth. I've been in marketing and communications and PR for 15 years on the corporate side. I've founded another company um, in 2019 prior to this company that was Interpublic Group's first equity investment in a majority women-owned business that they'd ever done in their entire 93 history. We grew it to um, be named one of Fast Company's world's most innovative companies two years later. And then I left to launch this company because I wanted to get back to, to, to women specifically and really building generational wealth for women today and going forward. So in preparation for this conversation, what really impressed me off the bat, because there's several things, but you decided to move from Michigan to Chicago without a job. You, most people right after college would have never taken that leap. You were like, I know if I'm there, it will be a lot easier That was before all this remote Zoom technology was available, but you really took a leap to move to Chicago without a job, and you ended up getting a job at the Golan Agency. What led you to PR? What was that interest from the beginning? Yeah. You know, it's funny. It was, it wasn't a direct path. I, when I was in college, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And so pretty much everything I was doing was working towards that with the the major that I had, the classes I was taking, took the LSAT, but all of my friends that were a year ahead of me that went straight to law school said, think a little bit harder about what you want. And this, it it's for some people, but it's not for everyone. And we really encourage you to work at a law firm in some capacity before you commit to the three years of law school. So I moved to DC right after I graduated from Michigan and I worked at a nonprofit called Service Members Legal Defense Network. Our entire mission was to lift the ban on gays in the military, which we ultimately did. And what's interesting about working at a nonprofit or any mission-driven organization is that usually your greatest achievement is the demise of your business. It's, It's that you no longer need to exist. So that my work began in that space, but I knew I didn't want to be a lawyer even though I was working with incredible lawyers and they were supportive of that as well, because I just needed to have a bit more freedom to push on systems. And I felt that storytelling and creative was going to be a way to do that. And so I, 
I went into PR and, you know, PR is truly the opportunity to, to tell people's stories and to, to bring um, conversations to platforms that um, others may not have the privilege to do. And so I, I spent 15 years of my career in the PR world, uh, working at a PR agency, multiple agencies, leading marketing and comms for them. Um, and that's kind of how that whole um, transition took place. I don't want to assume, but I have a good feeling that as a woman in that industry, it had to be a little difficult. Anytime I feel you're in corporate America and as a female, and that's really what kind of sparked your second career, I would say. We put so much value on our career, who we are. We defined ourselves by that. And as someone who's growing and moving their way up the career ladder, what was that experience for you like? Because I know I've had experiences with senior leaders, surprisingly, mostly more white women having not the best experience than other individuals. But I'm curious what your experience was. Yeah. Um, so... Of all of my experiences, my most, I would say my most consistently challenging were with straight white women. And they were women who were one or two generations above me. These are women that absolutely had to face incredible challenges inside of the very traditional corporate structure. So I have I have empathy for the the challenge and the experience. What I have more challenge with and more concern about and more frustration with was the the reaction to yeah. then do the same to others instead of saying, I don't want anyone else to have to go through this. So there is intergenerational fighting that happens specifically with women and specifically from white women to other women that is largely created by a very patriarchal structure that says there's only a few spots. And so anyone who looks like you or sounds like you, um, they are a threat. They're not an asset and they're not, they're not a, someone that you can you know come up with. So if you don't debunk that myth and you believe it, that is how you're treated. And so I absolutely experienced it. I watched it happen to other people. And it's, it's really, it's a distraction from the real work, which is the dismantling of a patriarchal structure that doesn't believe that women belong in positions of power and influence. So, so I, I have very similar experiences to you. And the, the reality is there are a lot of incredible women out there and we have got to just find those women and communicate the fact that their success is our success, right? They're their um, accolade, their win of an award or an opportunity or a project does not detract from something that we will get in the future. And as long as we continue to reiterate that and to believe that and to, and to live that way, we can start to start to turn this upside down. But otherwise, we're, we are on a hamster wheel, going nowhere, fighting with each other while everyone else is passing us by on a first class ticket to the top. Well, I also know that your mom was a single mom in the Coast Guard and she broke barriers. She was like the first to do so many. And I'm sure that set a very clear idea and precedent for you as well. I know in my career, there's been times where people have told me like, calm down, don't be so eager, don't be the 
dog with the bone kind of a situation. And it is hard for me because that's my personality. Like if I'm passionate and I'm driven, I want the best from the team. I want the best for the company and I'm going to keep pushing. But you also kind of feel uncomfortable because people are telling you kind of chill out, relax. How did you handle that? Because for me, it the first few times I took it really personally and now I just look at it as, well, it's not my fault. You can't keep up with me. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, that's a beautiful way to reinterpret what you're being told. Um, because again, so much of the time when you're being told something, it really has very little to do with you when it's a negative comment or a critique. It, it's about how the person is, how, what you, who you are in the world, what you do in the world makes them feel. And that's not anything you have control over. And it's not anything that should require you to change who you are in order to help them work through something. So the number of times, Mallory, that I've been told I'm like a dog with a bone. I mean, I could I could put it on a jacket and wear it every day and rep that super hard. Um, I actually take it as a badge of honor now because what it means to me is when I believe in something and I think something is right and should be done, I stay with it. I stay after it until it gets done. And and so that if we look at a very traditional construct of what a woman is, what femininity is, what it means to be a team player, all things that we've been told as women in, in the corporate world, lot, a lot of those are actually meant to just keep us from excelling and to keep us from taking on positions of leadership. So I really receive any sort of critique as a opportunity to move through it, to also consider that it has absolutely nothing to do with me in in many of those cases, and to also question the conditioning that we have all received in society that has made that conversation even appropriate for that person to have. So, so much of the time, it's like, of course you would say that to me if I did this because I'm breaking a mold. And you're conditioned to have this reaction to me. So neither one of us are actually even having our own lived experiences. We are just being puppeteered. So don't listen to a damn thing they say. Okay. That's my, my advice to you is don't listen to a damn thing. You they know, say. what's so interesting to me is as I've continued with the podcast and have more and more conversations with individuals from different walks of life, it just shows me how many times we are going through the motions or we believe something because we've seen it in media or we've heard it, not because we've actually been in the moment, use our own judgment to make that call. And it's very much infuriating to me because you, someone can walk in and you immediately assume you know their story based on how they look or their gender or whatever it is. And that's not the case. I just don't know how we as a society can start to break away and chip away at those predisposed opinions. Yeah. I think you you first have to give yourself grace. And so I think the way to chip away at, at these different biases that are inherent, they're implicit biases. We all have them. It doesn't may, mean that we're bad people. It's what we choose to do with that initial reaction because the initial reaction is the implicit bias. So you have an experience, you see someone, you make a snap judgment, you know that's coming from somewhere. Your opportunity at that moment is to say, of course I think that, 
I've been conditioned to think that, but I'm going to make a different choice now. So I have had my own experiences as a woman who is a, a woman who lifts other women up, who gets deep, receives deep joy and gets deep excitement and compassion around um, with other women's success. It's still really easy to fall into that trap of a woman who is acting in a way that is not the, the construct that we've all been taught and having an opinion about that. Wow. She's really, she's really out there about herself. She's really um, promoting what she's doing. And to have that first reaction that says, man, she really thinks she's hot shit, doesn't she? So instead of, instead of going with that and just pushing forward and then, and then having a negative opinion of that woman, you can stop yourself and say, of course, that's what I'm thinking because I never see this. This is, this is new. It's totally appropriate. And, and this is what we need to see more of. So you know what I'm going to do instead? I'm going to amplify her. I'm going to share what I'm seeing here. I'm going to, I'm going to send her a message and tell her, I think she's amazing. So it, you have to give yourself a moment of, of empathy and grace and a chance to redirect. And if you aren't the one who's having that experience, but you see it happening, then you have to have the bravery and the courage to call it out and say, hey, I'm noticing that this is going on. I don't really know what your intention was, but my guess is the impact is this. If that's not what you wanted, let's think about doing this another way. No, that's such a good piece of advice. So you were in marketing and PR for 10 years, then you left a corporate company where you knew you were having a paycheck, you had those benefits, that security to start have her back almost three years ago. Yeah. What led you to being a founding partner for that organization? You know, there was a lot happening in the world at the time. There was a really unfortunate person who was elected to our presidency who never deserved that job. And with that, many other um, sort of intersecting issues came to be and and voices came out of the woodwork. And so we, Me Too and Time's Up really took hold. Women were, the Women's March took place. There's just a lot of energy and momentum around the acknowledgement that we are still not treated equitably, let alone equally. We're not treated equitably. And, and so at, at that point I had a, you know, seven month old and a two and a half year old. And so I had also changed a lot in the, in the years prior from being an independent individual who was married, but still had a lot of autonomy and ability to control what was happening to my body and, and my choices to having two children that required a ton of my attention and care and, and my, everything about me had changed. And so the other thing that changed was my, um, my threshold for bullshit. And so there are a lot of things that I put up with because I was told you had to play a game to win. You had to play along in order to, to rise. And I had done that. And then I realized that like, this game is rigged and, and actually that advice is meant to keep us in the game which works and helps helps the system itself, but it also is is meant to keep us from winning it. And so it felt to me at that point, like we needed to step outside of that world and try to start to fix it from the outside, which is why, um, you know, we started Have Her Back. And the premise was really to go and work with corporations and, and work with them to change their cultures, to bring more 
women and people of color into positions of power and influence. And so that was really, it was, it was things that were happening out in the world, culture, cultural things that were happening. It was things that were happening personally to me with just my metamorphosis as a, as an individual and as a woman and a mother. And it was my, my frustration at the slow progress that was being made and feeling like we got to do it differently. We have to approach this differently. We have to tackle it differently. So I've noticed, obviously this podcast came out of what was occurring during that same time period that companies were really quick to say, yes, women in leadership. Yes. You know, minorities in leadership. Yes. We're going to change it. Sounded great. Used all the great buzzwords. And now three years later, two years later, are you really like following through? What have you really done? How can we hold those companies or our own company or consumer companies to what they have been saying? Because it looks great on a marketing piece of paper. It looks great when you're celebrating Black History Month, Women's History Month. Okay, well, we shouldn't just have a month. It should be a constant thing. Accountability looks a lot of ways. There are a lot of ways to hold individuals and organizations and institutions accountable. But I think the the quickest way is through money. And so it's with spend and it's also with your human capital that you give to an organization when you work for them. And I think that if we sat down and really had a moment where women looked and saw we're 51% of the population, we're half of the labor force, we're 85% of consumer buying power, we have significant power and influence at our fingertips. Now, I'm not saying it's all easy and it's all possible and it's all equitable and every individual who is a woman has the same experience. That's not the case at all. But those that have privilege, those that have platforms, those that have influence, really, we have to start dropping the ball. Because if we if we never let anything fall through the cracks and we just keep keep things moving, society continues to benefit and there's no need, there's no reason to really change. It's when we actually decide we're going to stop making things work at this level for this pay, for this inequitable pay, for this non-existent pay, unpaid labor. If we, if we stop doing those things and we stop spending that money, we're going to bring this economy to a halt. And that will cause people to make real quick decisions and prioritize them. So I think it's going to be a matter of, and I don't think everyone is in a position to be able to do that. It's it's very different to say to a C-suite person at a Fortune 500 company, you should walk out today, right, from your virtual office in your suburb than to say it to an hourly worker at a fast food restaurant. Those are very different lived experiences. And so we need to recognize that. And, and those that have the privilege and the power to do so have to put a stake in the ground because this incremental progress is going to, it's going to take 208 years, as Melinda Gates said a few years ago. At this rate, yeah. But if we decide we're going to do something completely disruptive, new system, new way of working, new players, then we might have a shot at seeing some real change in our own lifetimes. Back in July, you took a little bit of a break from Have Her Back. You had a career transition. You took a break. Was that hard for you to take a step back? Because I feel as women, we try to do everything. We don't want to let anyone down. 
we are running at 100 miles an hour, juggling kids, family, work, life, everything. And like I said earlier in this conversation, a lot of some of our self-worth is in our career. So when we have to take a step back, it's like, oh, did we fail or you're letting people down? Did you experience that? But more importantly, what led you to decide I need to take a step back? Yeah, Um, probably every relationship up to that point, whether it was personal or professional and whether it was related to my career or to just a passion endeavor, my worth was always tied to my performance, right? And what I was doing for some someone or something else. And I had been going at that speed for 20 years at that point. And a couple of things, again, happened for me. Um, It was a time when COVID was still running quite rampantly and not everyone was able to be vaccinated yet. And I got really sick. And it was largely due to the fact that I was completely running on fumes at that point and had overextended myself and wasn't listening to my own body on what was possible. I just pushed through, pushed through, pushed through. So I physically hit a, hit a wall. And so that's always a really good way to have a wake up call and and a wake up moment is when you're hospitalized and you're getting two liters of fluids in order to just be able to be released. Okay. What, what led to this point? How do I not go back into this again? So that was one piece of it. Um, And it was, I turned 40 in March and I just, I had a real moment where I said, what do I want the next 20 years to be? If, if I can see pretty clearly what these past 20 years have looked like and everything that I've done to work on myself and to, you know, understand how my past has, has impacted my present and like issues and challenges, how they have caused triggers in my current state. Like if I've really done all this work, like, am I going to make a different choice or am I going to just continue to let inertia guide me forward and, and let again, my commitment to performing for others be, be the be all end all. So I just made a decision that I was no longer going to abandon myself in service to others. And that meant I had to leave because that's what I was doing. And so taking a step back was not a plan or it wasn't, it also wasn't a relaxing experience, Um, especially as a person who has spent my whole life being a high performer and someone who is a doer, but it required me to, to say, what, what really am I going to do next? And, and if I have this moment to take an inhale and an exhale a couple of times in a row without being interrupted. Um, where would I envision myself going and and what would I actually do? And and what do I think the impact is that I can have and I should have, and I want to have. And so that's what happened for me then. And um, it was, it was the first time in my life that I was not working for someone else. Um, and so, you know, in the four months between leaving and then starting my newest company, Ella, I have never felt so much freedom to just be my full self in my entire life, because I've always had someone that I worked for that was like 
kind of watching me, kind of had their eyes peering over my shoulder, was either directly or indirectly giving me feedback on who I was out in the world, what I said that one time, what I posted here, what I believed in, what I was wearing. And finally, I had broken free from all of that. And I just got to say what I believed. And the it was um it it's been an incredible experience to to fully be able to exist as I am and to and to say the things in the world that I think need to be said. You mentioned doing the work. I'm currently in the process of doing the work, going through the past, healing trauma, figuring out those triggers. It is some of the hardest work I've ever done. It's painful. Yeah. There's times where I'm crying, being like, I don't want to have to deal with this, but mm-hmm. I also know if you don't, it's never going to go away. What point of your life did you decide it's time for me to really like hunger down and, and start doing the work? Yeah. Well, and you know, it's, it's interesting because I had a lot of people say to me when I left and when I decided to choose me and to figure out what was actually right for my next move there, I received a lot of support and just like, I can't believe, like, how could you be so brave? And I'm like, no, no, no. 20 years of therapy led me to this moment, right? This is, this has been 20 years of deep work, trying to understand what's under it all and, and to grow and to evolve and to change. And so it was really, it's, it's been a marathon. So, I mean, I, in high school, I, I started seeing a therapist and I haven't seen a therapist every single week consistently for 20 years, but therapy has been a part of my 20 years in some way, shape or form that whole time. And I think it is one of the most critically important tools that I have. Um, we are getting better as a society at destigmatizing what mental health and therapy is. And we have, you know, a lot of incredible um, women, specifically black women who have gone out into the world like Simone Biles and and said, I'm I'm not performing for you anymore. I'm choosing me. I'm choosing my health. I'm choosing my physical health. I'm choosing my mental health. And and really started to again get that conversation into culture and to to make it less scary to have. Um, so more of that. I think we just need to we need to really understand that it's actually it's a it's a maintenance tool. It's the same way that you have different people in your life that you count on to help all of the things that you need done for yourself individually or your home or your family or, or your companies. It's the same idea. It's, it's something that you don't have to wait until you're in crisis to prioritize yourself. You can have someone who is there guiding you and that you can bounce things off of that understands those deeper challenges and can growth. If we're not here to grow, then I'm not really sure what we're doing. And so to me, that meant that I was going to have to start making different choices when put in the same situation. I think that was shocking to some people because they were really used to me signing up, continuing to sign up. And I just decided I wasn't going to sign up for it anymore. So I, I firmly believe in it. I, I feel everything you say when you talk about the challenges of what it is to, to have to go there and to, deal with those hard things. It's, it's not an easy process, but it is a valuable, worthy one that will make you such a better human in the end. And I think the hard part about going through this, and I'm not sure if this was your experience is you're almost shedding the skin or you wake up, 
and you look at things differently. And then the people you've been surrounding yourself with, the people who you used to want to call all the time, you just look at them and we don't relate on the same level or we're just, our priorities aren't aligned. And it's hard. Sometimes I feel to walk away from relationships that you've had for so long. Cause then you realize I've changed and then you feel negative about it or bad that like the relationship isn't what it used to be. How do you kind of continuously check in with yourself, make sure your priorities are aligned and have you had that same experience where you might be walking away from some friends that you never thought you would have? Absolutely. Absolutely. I've walked away from friends. I've walked away from colleagues because um, there are people in your life that like you that way. That's the thing that you have to realize is that version of, of you that you may be growing out of and growing from and and growing into something better, that might be scary for them because they liked that version. That version worked for them. And so you're going to have friends that grow with you and that evolve and that recognize how you're changing and what's needed now that, that wasn't needed before, how, how, how your own life has evolved and what your priorities are that have shifted. And they're going to get that. And it's going to be clunky and it's going to be a little bit um, there can be moments of tension, but moments of tension are the best places for like, again, change and growth, because it means that there is, there are two things that are coming together that are trying to figure out if they're going to fit anymore. Um, and then the people that, that are, want you to stay the same, you have to make a decision about that. Is this, is, is that worth it to me? Is that person in my life worth me? like going back into a shell that I've already broken free from. So it's, you know, I love the idea of the metamorphosis of a butterfly and, you know, what a caterpillar does and that transformation. And I think a lot of women in the past few years, specifically any transformation that they've been going through that could be days, weeks, or decades long, I think was rampantly sped up in the pandemic because we had way more time to think and we were being, we were really introspective. We had the space to be that. We started to realize that time was not um, certain and we weren't going to have forever to do all these things in five and 10 and 15 years. I'm going to, I'm going to go do that thing. I love people just said, I'm going to do it now, actually, because I have no idea how much time I have. So I think transformations have been sped up in the past few years. That's why we're seeing this incredible exodus from corporate America. It's why we know by 2025, half of the U.S. is going to be entrepreneurs and and freelancers. People are reclaiming themselves and their time. And you do have to get comfortable with the discomfort of moving on from people and places that no longer serve you. And... um, people in places that only are there because you serve them are not places you stay. Well said. So I found you on LinkedIn because I love the content that you create. I love your posts. I read them each one. Sometimes I'll read them twice. I send them to others. You have such an amazing, strong, and very to the point voice, but it's still with empathy and understanding and you call, you know, out what we need to do. 
were you, when did you decide to start using LinkedIn in that way? Cause I love it. I would encourage all listeners to go ahead, follow you. I'll put your LinkedIn bio in this episode show notes. So it's an easy click because you are such a great thought leader, especially for women. Thank you, Mallory. That's really kind. And I, I so appreciate it. And I, I, I'm grateful that it's having that kind of impact on you. It was truly when I became free to, and I reported to no one, I, I answered to no one but myself. Right. And so March 31st was, was that moment for me. And I was 40 and six days old. And I just finally was able to truly say things, not only that I wanted to say, but the way that I wanted to say them and to, to push against all of the quieting that I had been conditioned to do to myself when I was told so many times, why are you being so aggressive? Why are you so upset about that? Don't be so angry. Don't ask so many questions. That's not what they meant. Why did you, why did you take it that way? God, you don't let things go. You're like a dog with a boat. Listen, all of those things are said to women who are calling out things that they feel are wrong, right? Because anger is an, an important emotion because it tells you when something is wrong. And so of course people don't want us to be angry because then we're going to keep pointing at the things that aren't working and that aren't that aren't okay. And we're going to change them. And that isn't going to work for everyone. But when you're told not to be angry again, it's that, it's that moment of what is this actually about? Is this about my anger or is this about the way that my anger is making that person feel that again, I have no control over. So it's wild to me, Mallory, that when I finally just started to be myself on LinkedIn specifically, like I probably had 3000 followers maybe at that time. And now it's, you know, it's 10 times that it's 30,000. And so that, that has also shown me that people are clamoring for this kind of authentic conversation. And I receive so many beautiful, heartfelt direct messages or emails from people that are grateful that I've said things that a, they are not comfortable saying out loud, but they feel because again, they are worried about retaliation in their organization or, or um, being fired or, or facing additional discrimination or bias or, or other things. And so I don't go without that, right? Like I get a lot of blowback in, especially the posts that are more, um, that are talking about topics that are considered more um, heated, right? Hot button issues, right? Hot button issues are really just like the most important issues of our time. So of course. So that's actually a perfect segue because I have notes um, that one of your LinkedIn posts, you said that you were told that LinkedIn is a professional platform and discussing women's reproductive health is unprofessional, but that's truly a lie because by not being able to talk about women's reproductive health and not demanding CEOs and C-suite executives and Fortune 500 companies to do better for women, then therefore we will never be equal if we don't actually have these types of conversations. I remember when you posted that and I was just shocked, to be honest, but so thankful because I would say in the last few months, everything going on in this country, we all are feeling it. 
yeah. especially females. But like yeah. you said, we're afraid to say, hey, if I live in a state that I can't get the medical needs I need to help me, are you going to pay? That's Can right. I even say the word abortion? Can I yeah. even say reproductive rights? If you really want women to be senior level, provide them with the opportunity to freeze their eggs, give them those benefits so they can continue to grow in the career, you know, that they want without having to choose, do I have kids now or can I continue to grow and aspire to what I want to be? I love that post. We could talk so much about it, but why did you feel that was the moment to put the stake in the ground? Well, when I heard when the, when the SCOTUS papers were leaked that essentially said, this is coming, they're going to overturn it. I knew like I had been at a conference in San Francisco, IWPR, the Institute for Women's Policy and Research. Nicole Mason is the president and CEO. She was brought into that role in 2020. Anytime I see that someone was brought into a role in 2020, I have just utter respect for what that meant to take on a job in an environment that none of us knew how to navigate yet. She is a phenomenal human and she's doing incredible things there. And so she brought us together in San Francisco. At this point, I think it was in May, um, maybe it was March of this year. And, and so the former CEO of Planned Parenthood was sitting on stage and Cecile Richards, and she said, this is coming. And if you have a platform that you can use to talk about your own experience, you've got to do it because we are, this is a threat to all of us. And I took it to heart. I really did. And so when those, when those papers were released, I, I woke up in the middle of the night and I just said, I'm, I'm going to just say it. Like I have never publicly stated that I've had an abortion and it's because I've been told that that's something I should be ashamed of, embarrassed of, makes me a bad person. And absolutely. I shouldn't be doing on a, on a LinkedIn platform, right. Which is a, I'm being told as a work platform. And so I just decided like, you don't get to have both corporate America. You can't have your cake and eat it too anymore. You love me when I'm there working for you, making you money, but you don't want to know anything else about me that I have to navigate in order to be in that world. And that is what we as women have every right and power to do right now is to say all of these spaces where we are, are the spaces and places where we talk about our bodies and our rights and our autonomy and our experiences. And we're going to start making people real damn uncomfortable. And that is not because what we are saying is inappropriate. It's because we've been conditioned to think that those topics are. Those are two very different things. And like, think about it. We talk about people having migraines all the time. And that's because we decided that like when someone has that kind of horrible pain in their head, they should be able to leave work and they should be able to turn their computer off and go away and, and everyone supports them and everyone has empathy. But like when a woman has cramps, like debilitating cramps when she has her period, don't talk about that. That is, that is your personal business. No, that's because we've been told that. So we have a moment right now, and, and so many women have been doing it, and I'm grateful for it, and I will continue to amplify it in every way possible. I will continue to, to use any platform I have to do it, but my encouragement here is talk about all of the things that you have to navigate as a woman throughout your day 
in the places that you are being required to show up. And so that is more places than anywhere else, the workplace, whether it's virtual, you're on a Zoom, you're in person, whatever it looks like, and demand that you have the support and the resources to live your life in those places. So I absolutely got, I mean, the the trolls that came out after me on that post, more, more than not men, but a lot of white women too, to me, I took no no individual offense to it because again, it's all conditioning. Everything that they have to say about women's rights, abortion, um, talking about what they are calling personal things on a on a on a workplace platform, all of that's conditioning. So it's actually all up for debate. Um and and in and the more we do this, the more we are actually rewiring this system to a system that looks the way that we actually want it to look. So I'm fine with doing that, but I'm also all about new system, our own system where we're not trying to fix all of this stuff that is so deeply wrong and embedded in 300 years of, of infrastructure and instead just go and do it our way. So both things have to be happening, obviously, but but I will absolutely continue to talk about these things in all of the spaces that women exist. It's so interesting to talk about that because I think about once I was at work in dire pain because of cramps and I yeah. like whispered to my female manager, like, I'm so sorry. I have to go home. Like I'm, I'm going to throw up like a cold yeah. sweats. Like it was bad. Yeah. She's like, and she was like, oh, you don't think you can make it till the end of the day. <laughs> and I was like, no, my uterus is exploding right now. That's how it feels. Yeah. Um, I, at 29, decided to freeze my eggs. Mm-hmm. I was super vocal about it. I told everyone my age, see if your insurance covers it, get control of your own fertility, understand your health. Don't yeah. wait until you're older. Own this if you think you want to have kids, but you still want to climb the corporate ladder, like take ownership of that. Yeah. And then- get an implant in your arm or an IUD because Trump was in the white house. And I, he said in a debate with Hillary, this is what I'm going to do. Right. And that's what happened. So I hope that people show up November 8th, mid elections are important elections. We've seen the last few years that it matters judges your All state of everything oh. matters and the school board mallory that like everything down, all like, of these local elections are pathways to these larger government positions so you're exactly right and school board think about all the media that we've had over the last year about the books being banned right. i am a grandchild of two holocaust survivors they don't teach the holocaust anymore because of whatever reason and it's then you see this rise of anti-Semitism and hatred coming. Like it's up to us to yes. make sure. And we are two white women right now talking. Yep. We have privilege, but I look at it as I need to stand up for those who don't have the privilege to make yep. sure that they're okay, that the laws are still fair to them because we can get out of, I could fly somewhere to get an abortion if I really needed to. Others don't. And the states that are the ones putting these bans in are really going to be those individuals that are going to be hurt the most. So I look at it as like, this is a human issue. Like, how do you be a good human? It's a, it's a humanitarian crisis. The, what, what we have created here in America for, 
for our largest population. It's unbelievable. Um, and maybe maybe quite believable when we look at sort of the track record and, and where things have been and and how we have just such significant numbers of historically excluded people in our midst. And so there we need a groundswell um, of people to to again, it, it's a multitude of things. It's what you just said about voting. We've got to get the right people into positions of power and influence who are making decisions and laws about about us. And when they don't look like anyone that that we know, and they don't look like any of us, or um, they're all like so old that they don't even realize what's going on. Like term limits. Say term it with limits. me term limits, right? Like all kinds of like either expand the court or get rid of it. Like there's, there's just, we've got to stop talking about the constitution that was written hundreds of years ago by a very, very small group of people that didn't believe that anyone that wasn't like them was human. Why do we, why do we give this piece of paper so much power? Well, because the people who are in power want to keep it. So there is, there's a there's a multitude of ways for us to take action and start to make change and voting is absolutely one of them it's also getting involved to whatever degree that you can if you are someone who wants to be either an elected official or wants to support those who are campaigning to do so it's creating the the spaces and the organizations and the companies and the missions and um, campaigns that are actually drawing attention to these issues it's speaking out when and where you can it's it's calling calling in and calling out all of the issues that need to be discussed and and to stop business as usual, right? We have to stop, like there is this very odd boomeranging um, sort of pull that's like, if we could just get back to the way things were and we're never gonna get back to them. Um, and not until these issues are actually taken seriously and people have made different decisions around them and we we can live in a world that views us as a whole person, will we stop fighting for these things? Also, we've shed that old version. We can't go back. The rosy glasses have been lifted. We know too much. We've seen too much. Like it's never going to happen. Get it out of your mind. Yep. Um, what I also like to do when I learn about something new is I try to tell five people. Yeah, that's smart. Like we're face-to-face, not just like post. Yes. I post a lot on Instagram and stories and all that, but really actually have a conversation with someone like, did you know this? No. Well, let me tell you about it. Inform others because knowledge is power. And I think that the news cycle and you can see people want to move on to the next story. It's something else. It's something else, but the issue hasn't gone away. The people who want to change it are working even harder, trying to distract you with other stories. That's exactly right. So I want to be mindful of your time, but talk to us a little bit about Ella. Ella is a inclusive network appreciating women and their wealth. And I mean that in all of the the ways that we define the word appreciating. So acknowledging the experience of women and the challenges that they face, the way that they walk through the world, how it's different and understanding what those barriers are and appreciating their wealth as in growing it and, and making it larger, more quickly. So what we do is we, through connection and coaching and consulting, we are, um, you know, valuing women and increasing their valuation. And so the fairway dinners is one way that we do this. It's this ability to provide access to other women, um, the opportunities that 
groups have, have had access to for hundreds of years. And we use the analogy of the golf course as a good example of an exclusive group, an exclusive club where business deals have been made. And um, for 300 years straight, white, white men have been out there talking about investments. They've been giving each other access to opportunities. They've been telling each other about a job that's opening up and giving giving that person a backdoor you know, way in. So whole ecosystem of business that we are not invited to. And if we dare to show up, we're not welcome. And so we created our own fairway instead of trying again, like what I am so over is like trying to fix and work within a system that wasn't built for by us, new fairway, new rules. So we bring women together. These are intersectional and like inclusive and really intimate dinners of 20 women. And it's an equitable mix of women who are established in their careers. So they're C-suite, Fortune 500. They are um, women who are elevating in their careers. So they're mid to senior level in small, medium, and large businesses. And they're entrepreneurs, they're female founders, they're small business owners. When you bring that mix of women together in a space where they feel safe and comfortable, the vulnerability that comes from that, the, the sharing and the and the, again, the unlearning of the conditioning, women end up doing business with each other. That is the point. I want these women to know each other. These This is 20 years of my professional careers, networking, and relationship building. And I don't believe relationships are transactional. And so when I care about people, they know that. And so I'm bringing these people together to say, you should know her and she's going to hire you to do work. And that is what's happening. And if it's not a direct um, link to a hire, it's a one degree of separation. I know someone that you need to meet because you're looking for funding. You're looking for this job. You want to get into tech. That's what's happening. So it's the same, the same idea again of like, let's just give each other the access. And when we are supporting each other, when the world supports women, we all win. Because when women have more money, they invest it into their communities, they invest it into the health and well-being of their families, and they they make the world a better place. And so that is the premise. And that's the access piece. The accountability piece, like we talked about, is we have a proprietary partnership with Gender Fair, this incredible index that I'm working with the founder, Amy Cross, to make their index even more intersectional. Because again, this isn't just about men versus women. We, we need to understand the, the nuances. Women are not a monolith. And we know that Black women have an incredibly different experience than white women. And so- how are we looking at every Fortune 500 company and taking them through this index and saying, this is how you score. Here are the two areas of opportunity that you have to get better. And then what we do is we direct them to women-owned businesses to solve those issues because it's, again, all about generational wealth creation. That's what it's about. I love coming together. I love women supporting each other. But more than anything, I just want women to make a shit ton of money. So that's the point. I love it. I'm on board. You know, you're telling me this. I'm thinking to myself, I have people to introduce you to that I think would be phenomenal for you to meet or be included in these dinners. Well, so- I was sitting here going, you're in Chicago, right? Yeah. Okay, girl. Well, you need to come to the October 4th dinner. I would love to. So let's make that happen because yeah. as we're talking, I'm thinking of women that you need to meet. And so let's, let's make that happen. Yeah. I want to thank you so much for your time. I end every episode with the final three questions. The first question is, if you had a quote or a mantra that you live by, what would it be? The one that comes to me most often is 
no one can go go back and make a brand new start, but anyone can start from now and make a brand new ending. And it's a reminder to let go of the things that aren't working anymore. Because I think sometimes we stay too long in places or with people that we know we should be walking away from because we're trying to make it worth it. And it's just like, right? It's like, let it go. You can't make a brand new start. That was something that needs to end. And every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. And so it's it's really about remembering that like you have a chance every day to just sort of start anew. So true. I'm working through that now. Yeah. I can really love that. Um, the next question is, if you could relive any one day, which day would you choose? Ooh. Oh my God. That's a hard one. You know, it's interesting. The one that comes to me is um, the day that my son, Will, was born. He He's six and a half now. Like, there was something so supremely like life altering and magical about that day because I had no idea what it was going to be like and didn't know how I was going to feel and all of these things. And so that, that day, that, that time before, like anyone else came into the room and that moment of like him coming into the world and just knowing that everything was different now, um, I would like stop it at like 11, 15 AM. He was born at like 10 45 the day got harder and like family members came and like other people came and then it was just hectic. And then we found out the next day that he had hemophilia, which we didn't know. And that was because of um, getting a circumcision and realizing, okay, this child has a bleeding disorder. So then my world fell apart. So, and of course we've put it all back together and everything. We have a beautiful life with Will and he has a beautiful life, but there was something about, there was still a innocence up until that 1115 time of like what motherhood was going to be and who I was and, and like the, the just sheer beauty that I learned quite quickly was a bit of a myth. It was kind of like, that was the social media image you see. It was beautiful. And then after, you know, how people show like reality for social media. Yeah. It's like you had this beautiful, angelic kind of experience. And then the reality of what really just happened. That day, motherhood. just like that day taught me to stop pretending. It really did. And so I think I would relive it again because it was, it's, it's the, one of the best lessons I've learned is to stop acting like everything's okay and start telling the truth. Yeah. Yeah. The last question is, if you had a theme song that played every time you walked into a room, which song would you choose? Taylor Swift, The Man, right? It's like, that is so much about what my life is and like how I feel about sort of what my, the work that I'm doing in the world and my existence, like start to finish is, you know, if I were a man, is this, is this how, is this how this would all be going? And so I, I think about that. And I, and I challenge it. I use sort of the message in that, in that song that says, I know this is how you are receiving me as I walk into this room. And I really don't give a damn because this is who I am. And I know it would be easier. And I know that it would, I would have less in front of me and you would be kinder and you would make more room for my failures 
but until that moment, I'm still walking through and I'm still here. Great. So I am going to add that song to the For Your Listening Pleasure Spotify theme song playlist so listeners can hear your theme song along with every other guest. I love it. Erin, thank you so much. This has been so wonderful. I've been such a big fan of yours and looking forward to this conversation. I know we'll continue the conversation offline and I look forward to working with you and being a part of your journey. So thank you. Thank you so much, Mallory. Same to you. Grateful that you've created this space for this conversation, that you've created it for so many other incredible women. Um, Keep doing what you're doing. Thanks.